Uh, how do you follow that one? I think it's time for an amen and then pass the plate again. Probably, probably worked pretty good. But uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's open to Haggai chapter 2, where we were last week, and we'll read the text and see what the Lord would have for us. You know, the experience of preaching uh, includes doing really two things. It's uh, taking an assigned text and seeing what the Lord would teach you as a, as a teacher or a preacher, and then figuring out how you can best communicate that to the particular congregation or audience that the Lord has given you. Well, I'm sure this experience is not unique to me, but simply because of the gravity of the preaching moment and time spent with these nine verses over the better part of a month, the Lord really grabbed a hold of my heart, and hopefully uh, you can see that uh, this text is as glorious as I, at least I think it is. So let's look this morning at Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you. Uh, for your love and your forgiveness. We do thank you for this time of preaching of your word. May it illumine all of our hearts. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this aspect of your ministry to us, and will you indeed take words of a flawed man with feet of clay and bless your people now in Christ's name. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's remember where we are from last week. The Israelites had been in exile for 70 years and were allowed by King Cyrus to go back to the land with the remnants of other nations. And the Lord has indeed given us two books that talk about coming back and the rebuilding of both the wall in Nehemiah and the, the temple in the book of Ezra. The building of this, 
of this temple had actually started some 15 years ago and it had ground to a halt. And as we saw last week, the, the people were more interested in taking the panels and paneling their own homes than building God's temple. And the, the work was long and hard and it discouraged them. And then we saw at the end of chapter 1 through the prophet Haggai that the Lord stirred them up and they went back to work. Now, you know, we don't know anything about this prophet Haggai other than what we have here. He's also mentioned in the book of Ezra. But we have no idea who his background was, who his family was, how he came to be. Was he a Levite? Was he not a Levite? There is no information. But to me, I picture Haggai as that guy in The Princess Bride who says, you know, you killed my giant. I envision him as this little prophet, and he could have been 6'4", I don't know. But I imagine him being this little guy that is just fired up and that the Lord uses. And we saw at the end of chapter 1, it says this, that on the 24th day of the month, on the 6th month of the year, in the second year of King Darius, the chapter ends. Our chapter ends again with a date. Our text begins in Haggai chapter 2 at the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. The word of the Lord again came to Haggai the prophet. Just a little over a month later, the people are already discouraged. They're already depressed as they were before. And the Lord sends Haggai back in our text to have a second go at these stubborn, discouraged Israelites. He called it Anfeshdun. It's a German word. Anfeshdun. And there's no English direct translation of that word. But for Martin Luther, the word was discouragement. But not just a discouragement like I'm down in the dumps or I'm a little bit depressed. For Luther, this was a darkness of the soul. This is what the former exiles were experiencing and what many of us may be fighting this morning as well. As we'll see, these discouragements for Israel were based in reality, as many times ours are. But like Luther's, this discouragement always comes, doesn't it, with self-talk. It's hopeless. Things will never change. She will never change. And then there's that you language that we get. You will always be unhappy. You will always be lonely. It's no use. You'll always be misunderstood. Just forget it. You're too old to make a difference. You've made too many mistakes. You've blown it. Just go away. Worthlessness is many times our fear that overwhelms us. Luther's word did mean depression and sadness and defeat. And Luther's own words to describe it probably are the best when he called it just simply the assault. And it is an assault. This time, Haggai's word from the Lord comes to the people in three spiritual reflections. As he presents the people his remedy and the Lord's remedy 
for this discouragement and this depression. Haggai instructs the people, and I want us also to be instructed and take three gazes this morning through this passage. First, we want to take an honorable remembrance of the past in verses 1 through 3. Second, we want to take an honest reflection of the present in verses 4 to 5. And then finally, we want to take a hopeful reliance on the future in verses 6 through 9. Look at verse 1 to 3 as we start. In the seventh month, again, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And he says, verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? To get an understanding of what's happening here, uh, we need to quickly remember the events of 15 years ago when this building and rebuilding of the temple began. So if you could keep your finger here in Haggai 2 and go back to Ezra chapter 3, and the easy way to do that is in the, about in the middle of your Bible, if you open it up, you're going to come to Psalms. And if you remember your, your order of your New Testament books, it's Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. So if you just get to Psalms, you'll go backwards to Job. And Esther, Nehemiah, and then the prophet Ezra. So if you go to Ezra chapter 3, we're going to pick up the story at verse 8 real quickly. Verse 8, Ezra chapter 3. Now, in the second year after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, now notice who our characters are. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, made a beginning. It's our, same, it's our same leaders here. Together with the rest of the kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem for the captivity, they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. These same two leaders began to assemble the young Levites 20 and above, it's the strongest, These are, this is hard back-breaking work, and they begin to lay the foundation of the new temple. Move forward to chapter, or, or verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the direction of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. They, the foundation has been laid, and they're going to have a, a celebration, a party. The, the priests come out in their vestments, and the cymbals ring, and the trumpets blow. And it says, and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And we're so excited about this, but that's how the next verse starts, doesn't it? But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far 
away. This trauma was real. These now elderly priests and fathers wept. Why? They remembered the city of Jerusalem, how it was. They remembered the grandeur of Solomon's temple and the fact that their young lives revolved around this temple that you could see for miles and that all the world knew of the the splendor and the grandeur of Solomon. And now they're back after 70 years and they see this. And they remember Nebuchadnezzar and his army coming through and taking them out of their very homes and sending them off to exile. They remember the destruction of their homes and they never, although they never saw that temple of Solomon leveled to the ground, they heard about it in Babylon and mourned and cried. And they remembered the majority of their lives from the captivity in Babylon. Now, the young people were born in captivity. All they heard was the, ah, oh, there goes grandpa again. Yeah, Jerusalem was great. Oh, that temple was so big and so much. Well, they're back in Jerusalem now, and they're, they're ecstatic. They're back, and they're laying this foundation. It was, for them, nothing but whoops and hurrahs. And rightfully so. The trumpet blasts, the cymbals crashed, and what a verse. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. Do you see first here how perspective and remembrance changes everything? It did for them, and it does for us. Now back to Haggai in verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing to your eyes? Haggai points them back and addresses their heartache. But notice, there's no scolding here from him. There's no shaming to these old timers. This is real pain. Their pain is real. And Haggai wants them just to have an honorable remembrance of that past. How do you remember your past? Christian, how has your past shaped you? In particular, how does your past relate to your Christian life and walk today? Could you be like these Israelites that the remembrance of your past could be part of your discouragement, part of things you simply can't or will not get over? If you're a believer in Christ, you need to know that regardless of how fond your memories are, that was certainly my case, loving parents, although rough around the edges, Norwegian to the core, um, we lived in a glorious time. I was fortunate to live in suburbia in the 60s, which was glorious. It was. There's no doubt about it. Or... Was your past dysfunctional or maybe even abusive? We must all come to grips, as the Israelites must, and Haggai will get them there, that whether your past is this glorious temple that is now in ruins, good or bad, both of those events to those Israelites That glory of the former temple and its destruction came from the sovereign hand of a loving and good God. 
And we don't go there a lot of times, do we? It's all bad. But wait, we, we can't have a, and believe in a sovereign God only in the good times. He's there all the time. And Christian, despite your remembrance of pain, listen, a few moments ago, you confessed your sin and had Scripture tell you and comfort you that those sins are forgiven. In a few moments after this, you will partake in the Lord's Supper as a foretaste of your heavenly Father that loves you and has died for you. How bad can that past be? I'm not diminishing uh, the, the pain. But whatever those moments are, good or bad, it's brought you to this moment as it's brought the children of Israel. But don't we have a tendency also, and boy, I am guilty here, of somehow glorifying the past, especially us uh, that love history. If I could have only been a member of the first Christian church in Northampton, Massachusetts in the 1740s, and had Jonathan Edwards as my pastor and been a part of that great awakening, oh, I would have been on fire for the Lord. That would have been awesome. Or, boy, if I could have only been week by week by week in London, either hearing the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon preach, or even in the, as late as the 1960s, Martin Lloyd-Jones from his, from his pulpit. Oh, what a Christian life I could have had there. Well, the truth is, brothers and sisters, if we were members of uh, First Christian Church in Northampton in the 1740s, by percentage, we probably would have voted that brother out of office in 1758 like his congregation did, 250 to 8. Some crazy number like that. And if we would have been part of Spurgeon's church, maybe we, like him, would have been so depressed at seeing the downgrade of Christianity in London at that time and lived in a depressive state like the great Spurgeon did most of his life as well. Haggai says, look at this house now. Is it nothing to you? How can it ever be the same for your grandchildren and your children? Those old men. And here's what Patton the old men in the back, they were tender and they thought it was hopeless. Haggai is saying, yes, it was and it is nothing in your sight. I understand that. But taking an honorable look at the past, let's take an honest look and an honest reflection of the present. Now, students, as we normally do here, we have a word for you. And <clears throat> I just want to say what I'm about to say is not for you, students. So look at mom, hopefully look at dad, look at your grandpa, grandma. This is for them. So you can sit back and color for a few minutes. How many of us have said, and I am guilty, what kind of society and what kind of church are we going to leave for our grandchildren in this mess? And honestly, this is a legitimate concern, brothers and sisters, this rapid decline in social structures of not just our nation, but the entire world in the last even five to ten years is breathtaking. What's good is bad. What's bad is good. But let's be completely honest for a moment. Now listen, if you believe the Bible 
is the inerrant Word of God. If you subscribe to and believe in the Apostles' Creed, let alone the Westminster Standards, if you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and that He created man, male, and female, and that we do not have the option or the ability to change that, if you believe that, if you believe that sexual intimacy is only designed for the context of marriage between one man and one woman in covenant relation, and if you would dare to believe that there are actually God-designed roles in that family and in that nasty word nuclear family that God has designed for the peace and well-being of everybody, and then forbid if you would think and believe and appreciate the country that we live in and be proud still, despite its foibles and its massive problems, that you're glad to be a Christian living in the United States that certainly was never a Christian nation by theocracy, but you believe that this nation has been a light to people, has been a, a, a beacon of freedom and hope. And despite its flaws, you still believe these things. I want to say, if you believe one or more of these, in all honesty, these four walls may be the only safe place for you. That is just a fact. If it's known that you actually believe some of these things, it could be very well costly for you in any number of ways, both now and in the future. Some of us think about this a lot, and it is, no question, discouraging. As Haggai addressed these discouraged Israelites, let's listen and see what he may have for us. Look at verse 4. Yet now. Here comes Haggai's word from the Lord for us and Israel in real time. Yet now, you've thought, you know, about the past. Yet now, in real time, what does he say? Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, honestly... What horrible advice is that? I'm depressed. I am upset. I have all of these real factors in my life. Here's the answer. Be strong and work. Really? This is the advice I was given my entire life. <clears throat> okay? My entire life. I can recall one time, probably one of the worst times in my life, I needed my father's tender ear and tender word. And alone on a Saturday night, I called him up and for a half hour spitted and cried and told him what was going on and how sad I was and depressed and all the other things. And he quietly listened and on the phone, didn't say much. <clears throat> And then if this is not a direct quote, it is so close that, you know, someone could steal it and be accused of plagiarism. But here's what he said after all that. Look, this is real easy, Mark. 
It's fourth down. You're down by two. It's third and 10. You need to play for 11 yards. <laughs> That's what he said. And I can remember, Dad, there's no game. I haven't had a uniform on in 18 years. Really? This is what you're going to give me? This is what he was. It's the same advice here. They're discouraged. They're depressed. They're weary. And here's the words of encouragement. Be strong and work. Now, my question is to Marcella, Diane, Christine, is this right out of your counseling book? This is what we do? Be strong and work. Yes. Who does this? Well, in this case, it's the creator of the universe that does it. Yes, be strong. You know, in our house, there was no crying allowed. You know, remember that movie, No Crying in Baseball? No crying in our house. The words were, suck it up. <laughs> suck it up. Be strong. Work. But look at the end of verse 4. Again, from the previous chapter last week, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Oh, what comfort and a motivation that is. And this is our calling, brothers and sisters. This is why we are here. It's why God put us here. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the earth. That's our, our comfort as well. He is with you. It's also worth a comment here that this word work in Hebrew, uh, for all of you Hebrew scholars, is this word that is basically used to whatever you want to say. It's this word called asa, which is just stolen from Nike. It just means do it. Just do it. He could have used build, you know, cut the stone. He just says, do it. For them, the do it was get back to work and finish this temple. For us, that do it is just simply what he's commanded us to do. What has he commanded us to do? He's commanded us to love each other, to worship together, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, to listen to the preaching of the word, be underneath the, the, the uh, uh, the means of grace, the preaching, the prayer, the, the Lord's Supper. Live your life as becomes a believer. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and brothers and sisters, it is. Be strong, Redeemer, just do it. He's with us. Yet, isn't this the same thing he told them in chapter one? Seth preached about it last week. It's the same thing. I will be with you. And it lasted less than a month for them. What's going to change? Well, Haggai and the Lord add a couple of lines. Look at this. Look at verse 5. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Oh, what words of encouragement are these, brothers and sisters? Can we not see a glimpse of the pre-incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ here? This hit me as I was preparing for my evening service tonight in Revelation 19, 11 through 20. It's all about the Lord and the hosts of heaven. You know, Martin Luther nailed this, didn't he, in, in A Mighty Fortress. 
he says, um, Lord Sabaoth his name, and age to age the same, and he must win the battle. I always thought for years, before I was Presbyterian, of course, that the, that was saying that, that he, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's, that's not it at all. Sabaoth is the Hebrew word for armies, hosts. Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, is his name, Christ. And come back tonight and you'll see what he's going to do when he comes back with that army. And it's fierce. And it's terrible. And it's glorious to us. Work, for I am with you. Oh, what words are these? And did you notice, if the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of, of Sabaoth here, who is the one that made covenant with you out of Egypt? Would that not be God the Father? Who, in fact, was in covenant with the Son for you before the world was even made? And my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. And they didn't even know it, but this teaching of this is the Trinitarian God that was with Israel. It's the same God that's with you, brothers and sisters. Oh, what words are these? Is it bleak in education and government? Popular opinion, yes. How do we deal with it? Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. Finally, through Haggai, let's take a look at this hopeful reliance on the future in verses 6 through 9. For thus, thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, just a little while, I will shake the heavens and shake the earth and the sea and dry land. I will shake the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with the glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. What an encouragement. What a day this will be for the redeemed as we see the end of all things. And it's just in a little while. If he said it's just in a little while, 2,500 years ago, it's in a little while closer for us. We must be strong. We must work. We must do our assigned tasks. We can't be discouraged. We must not be discouraged. Don't lose heart or hope. Because like these Israelites, this is part of a picture that is bigger than us. It's bigger than the stones that needed to be hewn and laid together on that temple mount. It's bigger than any of your daily tasks. It's bigger than Redeemer Presbyterian Church or North Texas Presbytery or even the General Assembly. It's bigger than that, and it's about His glory. They were asking, how can we continue? Not only is it just plain hard to work, but we don't have money. How can we build this temple? Don't you love the Lord through the prophet here? How are you going to finance it? Are you kidding me? The silver is mine, saith the Lord. The gold is mine, saith the Lord. What the Lord through the prophet needed to get the people to understand is that it's not the size, it's not the grandeur of the building, although it was beautiful. It's the fact that God is in there in his glory. 
and he resides there. And looking back now, can't we see this? As, John, as Jesus came to the temple of God, God and John reminds us in, in chapter 1 of verse 14 of John, that word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. And Mark's words, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion stood by facing him and heard Jesus breathe his last breath, that centurion said, truly this man was the Son of God. And he was. And, that, and this very same temple that was built at the hand and instruction of Ezra and through the encouragement of Haggai, that same exact temple, that second temple of Judaism stood there on that hill next to Golgotha. And when Jesus died, that curtain inside there was ripped 30 feet, four inches thick, boom, ripped in half. What happened to God's glory? Well, Paul answers that for us, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not of your own? You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Brothers and sisters, that former glory was there, was true. Christ was born, and that glory of that temple resides in your own heart and your own soul this morning. So as we close, two final thoughts and takeaways from this glorious text that hopefully we as believers can go back and from time to time find comfort. First, I think I could use this last things every time I preach because I've used it many, many times already. And that's many of you have met my best friend Randy, who maybe he's watching tonight, who'll watch tonight. I didn't tell him. But he's 64 years old and been preaching 40 plus years, over 4,000 sermons. And if whenever I call him, which I do all, all the time, I make the mistake of asking him, well, how's the church going? You know, which is what you kind of do. And he answers the same way every time. And if you called him, he would say the same thing to you. I'll say, Randy, how's the church going? And he'll say, he's still in the business, Trigger. He's still in the business. He's still saving sinners. And he's still comforting and turning around stubborn sheep. <laughs> That's my brother. But he is. This story isn't completed. He's still in the business of saving sinners, Redeemer. Encouraging weak and discouraged saints like we are on occasion. So be encouraged by the Lord today. And those of you here or possibly watching on live stream that have never come to Christ, I implore you, just do it. That's the work he's calling you to do. And you know someone that you could talk to about this, don't you? Just do it. Talk to them. That's your work and calling as a sinner. Come to Christ. The rest will take care of itself. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Won't you finally come to Christ today? And finally, weak 
Number two, weak and weary temple builders here. Let these words of Haggai comfort and encourage you this morning. Your past is neither as great nor as bad as you remember. Your life now is neither as great nor as miserable as you think it is. And finally, your life to come will be greater than you can ever imagine. Let's, let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be part of your redemption story. I pray for those among us depressed and discouraged. You indeed give them rest and joy in your spirit. Our prayer this morning is truly the prayer of Charles Wesley that we are about to sing together. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, free from, from fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. And Lord, we do know that Israel's strength and consolation is the hope of all the earth. Dear desire of every nation, you are the joy of every longing heart. Will you make it so in ours this morning is our prayer. Amen.